You're listening to the ABC Music Talk podcast, a show for those interested in the music industry. This is the third and final episode of a three-part mini-series, which was taken from an interview I recently did with my friend and colleague Delante Murphy. If you haven't listened to the first two, then please pause here and go and find them. In this third episode, we hear the slightly unbelievable story about the formation of what has become one of Delante's most commercially successful records. And we also get to share our admiration of the Indonesian superstar Afghan, who we are both working with currently. Uh, one of the things that I, uh, I think is fascinating is how some of the A&R folks find uh, new talent and they're using Instagram to go into like sort of the, the message, you know, sliding into the DMs type of thing to like make uh, contact with somebody. And, and the, the Little Duval story, is that how that came about or did you know him from before? No, I didn't know Little Duval. I probably saw him around Atlanta. But um, literally, I was, I think it was right before, yeah, the story, right before the 4th of July, I think in 2018. And it was like 4th of July weekend here, Independence Day here, and that week, sorry. And I saw this comedian guy. I don't even know how I saw it, Alex. It might have just came across like, you know, on the front page of Instagram where they show you these things. I don't even know why it showed Mm -hmm. it to me, but... Uh, he was shrugging his shoulders with a with a uh, joint that's about saying living my best life, and it was funny, but it was a hit hook. And he was like on rollerblades, like rolling down in uh, in uh, California somewhere, and he was just seemed like he was happy being himself. And I was like, that's a hit record, but I didn't I didn't hear it or nothing like that. So um, I kept DMing him um, about the record. And eventually, um, he never, no, he responded. He was like, man, I don't know you. So eventually, <laughs> um, I had brought it up in an a r meeting. I think this is right before you came. And Nima was like, yo, I know, I, I'm, Duval has a distribution deal here, but he's a comedian. I just think he's funny. He puts out little records. They don't do anything. I mean, I do anything. They do something, but nothing major, man. I just wanted him an outlet to put out his, uh, his little funny songs. I was like, this isn't just a funny song. This is a hit record. And I was like, and he was like, well, I don't know, man. He's done this before. It's probably going to be like the rest. I said, well, he hit me. Why don't you hit him and make sure he calls me instead of DM me? And um, he gave, he hit him and then he said, call him. And I called him and I was like, I believe in what you're doing. I was like, I think I could change this, whatever you've been doing. And this could be a huge record for you. And um, he hung up the phone was like, I don't know you. So he's funny, but you know, real. So what ended up happening was a couple of hours later, I think a day or a couple of hours, I get these emails in my inbox that says Snoop vocals, you know, because they're friends. But it's just his vocals. There's literally nothing else. It's just a wave of yeah. that. And I'm like, okay, two hours later, I get Ball Greasy, who's featured on record vocals. And I'm like, wow, why is this guy sending them hours apart? <laughs> Literally, he must be high and he's thinking about it. Like, well, I'll send him one part and see what he does. Then he sends me another part. So after so many hours, could have been 20 over. I get every part of the song, but the beat separated. And uh, it's 4th of July weekend and I'm hitting him. And I'm like, before you go to the, I think the, the, it was it was in the middle of the week, but they celebrated on that weekend. And I was like, I need this. And he just stopped responding to me. So in the midst of 4th of July, when everybody's with their family, I literally called every recording studio in Atlanta trying to see if he just so happened to record that record in Atlanta. And the last studio I called was like, yeah, he did. I was like, I need the files. And um, they were like, we can't just give you that. 
right? <laughs> I said, well, I do know the manager of the studio. Call her. She was on a plane headed to the islands. Literally, I'm talking to her while I'm talking to him on text. And she's like, Delonte, I'm on a plane. It's about to take off. We're sitting on the runway. I was like, you have to tell the studio manager to release the files. So I guess she did once she got in the air. Maybe she went in Wi-Fi. So all of a sudden, I get an email, and it's the file. So I literally canceled my plans, and I literally went to... At the time, we had just opened up our Atlanta uh, situation, and I had, the studio wasn't even there, but so long. And I literally called the engineer and said, I'll pay you extra if you don't go on vacation. I called the studio, the mastering guy, and said, I need you near your mastering stuff. I'm sure you're going to be with your family, but... We're going to go back and forth, back and forth. And that's kind of how the song really came about, like just re-editing the song, adding stuff that he don't even know about to this day, vocals, all type of stuff, and uh, just getting the record right and then pretty much delivering it on that Monday and saying, this is a smash. And uh, I still don't believe people believed it. I think that they were like, "Ah, this is still a joke. And I was like, no, it's a hit record. And... What happened was when he was in New Orleans, he released a really trash, not a trashy version, just not a, a really good edited, not mixed. Not, it was just horrible. And he was playing it. Him and Snoop was playing it. And I was watching them promote this horrible version of the record on Instagram. And I was like, this record is going to be on fire on Monday if we get it right. And, um, you know, I was just lucky to have gotten it right. And um, Monday... Morris called and said, hey, man, it's living your best life thing might be something. And on Monday, I swapped out. He had he put up the horrible version through distribution. The, like, it was just, mm. I mean, it was the hook only came twice. It wasn't even at the beginning. It was just all type of stuff. So I, I told Neiman to swap it out. He was like, well, I can't do that. I need to call Duval. I said, swap it out. These are, see, these are the best. See, this is the experience of a major label versus an independent. The majors would have done it anyway and said, get mad at me later because I know what this is, where independent wants to be very, oh, is it okay? Well, let me think about it. And then it's like the independent artist is sitting there like, but like, man, we gave you all this money to partner with you as independent. Can we have a say-so or run this? Like, no, I was like, no, trust me, just swap it out, switch out that version and did it. And they was like, well, I don't know. I said, for two reasons. One is no radio edit. Right. So this record is going to be so hot, especially starting the black community, that it's going to make it to radio quickly. We're coming right off a mix show weekend. There's no radio edit. If you allow radio to make a radio edit, they're going to botch it up or they're just going to decide not to play it. So I I had rearranged, mixed, mastered everything, radio edit. And then I and then I had the regular version. That record was on literally like gasoline poured on it by Wednesday. Literally, it was. I mean, that record, to me, watching ESPN here in the States and hearing that record and him, him on getting on ESPN with, with, with uh, people and just hearing it. I mean, everybody from Tom Brady was playing it when he won the Super Bowl and dancing to Beyonce and Jay-Z. Like, it's just so crazy to me for to see it have gotten to that, to that uh, explosion for something that I think that Without the stars aligned, it just would have been another record he had put out that just was there. And uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And me and him actually, uh, not just a and but I, I consider Duval a really good friend that, you know, that we, we after year, about a year or so of trust, we uh, we built up a really good friendship. So, oh, yeah. Brilliant. So it's an incredible, it's an incredible story and achievement, of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, 
not necessarily career defining, but certainly it's going to be in there. That's going to be one of those for you, I think, uh, forever, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Not career defining, but uh, well, let me say this. I wouldn't say career defining, but I would say close. And this is only why. The reason is that in history, the only comedian that is hit number one on the radio is Jamie Foxx. Eddie Murphy didn't do it with Rick James with I Want to Party All the Time. That record was pretty much a failure, even though as a kid, I thought it was, you know, like, you know, you saw it on MTV, you thought it was big. But Duval's the second comedian to hit number one. You know, a number one record like Jamie Foxx. So for me, just in the history books of who was the second or, you know, to me, that that to me is pretty cool to, to be able to say you took a comedian to number one on the radio. I think that was pretty cool. So, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Um, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm coming towards the end of this, uh, but there, there was one thing that um, I, I did an interview with uh, somebody called Chaz Jenkins from Chartmetric, and he's a, he's a former marketing guy from uh, you know the, the record industry, but wow. he, he now works in, in Chartmetric. And, and he, was, he said something. He said, oh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I, I'm sure he's going to be glad I'm repeating it. Uh, but he said, that, um, he said something along the lines of, actually marketing people don't really understand the market and he said do you know who understands the market he says a and r people and then he starts to explain you know why the a and r people actually understand the market better than actual marketing people so i would i wanted to kind of ask you about that like whether you kind of share that thought or not you know just just because you know like when i hear about you know when i hear you talk about records and how to improve them and make them better you know you'll you'll also do things like oh hey you know who we should get on this record is so and so and you're thinking I guess a little bit from a marketing point of view, right? You're thinking about those collaborations that are not just going to sonically make the record pop, but also how it's going to connect into uh, community and culture. Right. Yeah. I think that it just, it's different than ours, right? So for me, I'm the musical guy sitting on the floor of the studio with headphones on or dreaming in the skies about whatever. The first thing I'm always going to be in that marketing part is I'm always going to go sonically first what sounds right. So sonically, I go by what really complements the record. And I think I think about it a little bit more deeply than most A&Rs. There'll be, most A&Rs will just go to who's hot right now and let's find out who we think would be able to uh, get on the record that's going to help us sell the record. I'm always going to go to the integrity of what it sounds like sonically. Does this artist sonically, I hear the frequency of their voice, the tone of their voice, what they talk about, and does it fit? And sometimes some artists don't like that because... It'll, it'll be like, well, that person isn't big enough. How's it going to help me? Well, can we just make a good record first? And then let's figure out our job is to market the product. So maybe if it's somebody, I mean, what? I mean, you know how many people chance to rap, pitch pass on chance to rapper and him wanting to do stuff like that? Like, you, you got to believe. So I go there first and then I go second tier. I will look a little bit more on the marketing. And my marketing look at is who I'm featuring, who are, who are their audience, and is there a congruent overlap with two circles that can happen with this sonically, you know, whatever? So I kind of go a little, I go a so little see, you're bit see, deeper. You're, see, you're, you're seeing Venn diagrams in your head, are you? You're, you're seeing the, the convergence of the, right. the two circles. The, converge, <laughs> the convergence <laughs> of why it should happen. And then I think A&R has a little advantage over marketing because unfortunately people in the record labels, independent and major are overworked. You know, if you're doing a lot of busy work, you got to upload this and make sure these uh, these numbers are right to connect to this song and you got to get this delivered to here. It could be pretty, pretty exhausting when you have several clients that you got to do that for every day without making a mistake. For me, I think A&R though, we get a chance to go out 
be in the studio, maybe go by the lounges and clubs. Well, our job is to listen to records and look at everything and all the blog posts and all the other stuff and try to connect people we know who may be connected to them. So that's probably why we understand a little bit better because we're actually really, our job is to be outside in the culture versus a marketing person is going to be in the office most of the day trying to get all that other stuff done if you're a brilliant marketing plan. And then if you're lucky, you get to go to an event maybe once or twice a week as a marketing person to go take in some culture. But most marketing people, if they're overworked, their culture is only coming from their transit to work or on the, the times that they do get off for the holidays when they get a chance to be normal on their vacation where they can soak up culture real quick because they're usually stuck in a building. You know what I mean? Yeah. All day long. Yeah, so that may be the difference in why A&Rs kind of understand it um, a little bit more. Now, even in that, all my artists, honestly... Uh, I try, I'm a part of every marketing thing and I'm usually having conversations about marketing with the artist before they have it with the product manager. You know, as far as, look, don't, don't make us have this hardcore album and then I let marketing do it and then I come back and then I see that the cover has a pink elephant on the front with a white bow tie. <laughs> like, that's, you know... Like, do they even listen to it? Like, do they have time to listen to it? Like, some marketing people, honestly, they don't even listen to the records. Mm -hmm. I've actually come across marketing people saying, I didn't listen to it. Like, you know, they told me what they wanted. I kind of went with that. I was like, you didn't listen to it? Like, what did we just do all this work for? You didn't listen to it? I don't care if you hate it, but just say you listen to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's what Chaz was getting at. Like, it's, it's that sort of that you're just so much closer to the music in the A&R role than, than somebody who is perhaps just sort of stepping through a process of rolling out a marketing campaign. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, the challenge is everybody's overworked, but I think that um, what I would like to see in Empire's hiring more product managers just being here, but I think when we did Trey Songs and Kate Michelle, we were the A&R and marketing people. Like the images of the album especially the Ready album, was really just uh, us as a team discussing what we wanted it to be. And our marketing plan was done really here uh, in this basement, what I'm sitting in. Uh, and then it kind of it, it kind of got uploaded or, per se or the discussions with the great Deonti Hopper, who's a great uh, one of the head of marketing for Atlantic Records. And she'd been around us so long, she kind of understood it and was able to take the bulk of what we did and know how to implement it properly and still add her stuff in there as well. So yeah, I, I, you know, I guess, you know, yeah. And and it's weird. Like Anderson Park, we had Anderson Park on empire. And a lot of people think that we did a lot of that, that album cover in Malibu drive that came from his team. Like that's, that's his team and him. We just was, you know, I wasn't, I'm not, can't give you every quarterback cause I wasn't there for, I came in right after, but just talking to the people, like his team was that dope. You know what I mean? And they came with this yeah. great creative piece. And, um, and but that's because they had time to do it. You know what I mean? And really to sit there and think about it. So it's hard, man, even at our company. I mean, I feel bad for some of our marketing people because how do you pump out 40 pieces of music every Friday and try to make sure that each one is just some really cool shit marketing? Like, that's hard. Like, like yeah, that's to right. me, I, I, I can't. I mean that that's that's a hard way to go, but that's just the nature of the beast. But um, I try not to do my stuff that way. I try to allow my artists to develop. I try to listen to them so I can understand what I'm marketing. 
And I'm not, I feel like a lot of artists today and companies rush. It's like, oh, we got to have a hit tomorrow. And I'm like, well, let's really think about this, guys. We do need a hit to pay the bills. I'm not saying that. But if we think, think about if we rush some of our biggest artists of our time. Let's just say Jay-Z didn't make it to the third album. Let's say the first two, first album was a classic from uh, Urban marketing in um in america second artist second album was a dud third album is when uh, no he did the streets is watching was like a soundtrack so really his fourth album even though streets is watching was kind of hitting as a soundtrack to a little movie they did and then the annie record drops which becomes this cultural phenomenon of taking the show tube and hip-hop and what if he didn't make it to the fourth album what if a record company didn't say each album, even though we took a step back in a second, it's something about him growing and we're going to continue to whatever. Then this guy becomes a billionaire years later, right? What if Prince, Michael and Mo Austin, and I actually happened to talk to them when it was at DreamWorks about Prince and Madonna. And I'm talking, I forgot which one. I think it was both the son or the father. I think they were both there. I think it was the son who was telling the story though. And he was like, yeah, Prince just sat on the couch in the office with his long flowing hair, kind of crazy, you know, teeth. He was cool. And it was like, man, this guy's going to be the shit. He was like, man, we were so high coke, man. That dude looked cool. The music was all right. I was like, fucking go do it. It gave him a million dollars and stuck with it. And he didn't admit it. He was like, I don't really know what it was. I just know the kid was like a unicorn. You know what I mean? To be some special animal. And that was just a gut call to say, let him do it. And then think about it, it took Prince several albums to get to the point where we even recognized him. Like, we can go back to the first album with his hair flowing with the Farrah Fawcett and whatever that was and, and um, those records and stuff like that. But we really didn't get into Prince till coming into controversy. Maybe um, Dirty Minds was the beginning and then, but it took several you know, let's say controversy. Let's say the 1999 album was his first like, okay, this kid is kicking ass and then Purple Rain off to the moon. Um, but what if he didn't make it there? That was time and development. Now, it's funny because I was on a, um, there was a panel that was happening and my ex-boss Andre Gobble was on there and it was with uh, a couple of other A&R executives last week I had spoke on this web panel a couple of weeks prior to and I was watching the panel and one thing she said she said you want to know why Atlantic Records is great she said because we don't chase artists that are on TikTok and all these little one thing wonder we understand how to identify a star and talent in its early stages we pride ourselves on that now at a certain level you know what I'm not saying you don't look at numbers and what they're doing you get it at a certain level and then we understand that it's going to take time to get that artist most of the time to a certain level. So what we master is the art of how to develop that and to budget it and market that time. So he was like, our time frame is not six months. It's like, where do we where do we see this artist in a year? And where do we see this? We want this. If we're going to sign you, we want you to at least have a five year run. So where do we see the artists in a year, in the next two years, and by year three? And how much money are we willing to allot to get this artist to this point, right? Without overspending and making sure we're balancing against the people who was in front of them in the assembly line who were at their peak, right? Giving them time to develop. I think we need to get, I think more labels need to take that approach. And I think that we'll yeah. have better superstars with more runs. And my last example of it takes time 
And he did most of this on his own, so I'm not going to give this credit to a record label. But when I met Drake in my house, he might have been on his second mixtape. So Drake might have put out four or five mixtapes, if I'm not incorrect, before. And shoot, his breakout record was on a so-called mixtape, So Far Gone. And what he did was develop himself on a free music platform to get ready to play in the majors, right? But it took four or five mixtapes of covers and him recording and him being particular about mixing and mastery and spending his last dollar from Degrassi and from his grandfather who had a mattress company and his mom to get to the, he got all the way to the, and he met, and he met Wayne and then it's off to the stratosphere. And now he's the, he's had more number ones than Michael Jackson. Wow. But it took a few yeah. years for him to develop to the point where he even got to Wayne. It just so happened he did it on his own versus a label, you know, to get to that point. We have to get back to signing artists for, for we have to start looking like that. We got to stop looking at artists as a McDonald's drive-through drop-in. We have to say, no, I want my steak medium well, I need the asparagus right. I need the perfect glass of wine. I need to figure out how we can get to this white tablecloth dinner. And I'm willing to wait. If it means it's going to be the most perfect meal that I've ever ate, I'm willing to wait to get there. I'm cool with that. But uh, I will wait patiently for this great meal. And um, I just need to see you working on preparing it. I need to see stages. So I need to see that you're thinking of your grocery list. I need to see that you went out to go get the groceries and you traveled to eight different stores because to get the best product for, for this dinner had to come from eight different stores versus one supermarket. I need to come back and see you marinating that steak or, or whatever you need to do to prep and everything else. I'm willing to wait just to see the process to have that one hour or two meal that, is, that I'm going to remember for a very long time. If we could get back to those stages and manage. Now, managing that process is, okay, they're going through the grocery list. You're not going to get steak today, but I might be able to get you a slider, right? Oversight, you know, so you're, because you're getting hungry watching me write the meal, but I have some sliders. I made some sliders. Yeah. The next stage is, you know, man, have some waffle fries and have this and this. But if we can wait for that meal and we can manage that and say, okay, great. So you took part of your budget of your grocery and you made me sliders, you gave me chips, you gave me something to drink, you told me to watch, well, you can have water today, you might have soda tomorrow or juice tomorrow, but, but it's, or, or we'll get to this meal at the end, then you're managing the process. You're still kind of feeding me and keeping me going until I get to this meal. If we get back to that and look at it that way, um, I think that we'll have superstars uh, and people that'll mean more to music in the end. And that's my fear right now is so much fast music and these kids don't really, I mean, and now I'm, I feel like I'm still a big kid. I just see a generation and I know every generation beforehand say this. I just see a generation that has had, had so much handed to them that I just feel like it's getting a little discombobulated in what it's going to mean for us creatively in the future. You know, it's just too quick. It's just, it's no working up to, you know? So, well, I, I, I guess one of the big you know, changes obviously been technology and the ability to just put something out, put it on YouTube, put it on SoundCloud. 
and, and right. so you've 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 lost the kind of perhaps need to make something as good as it possibly ever can be because it, you just put it out see, see whether it connects or not and then if it doesn't try something else right yeah and i think we just need to be a little bit more once it's out is out i tell artists yeah I, I get it and I've done it before, but once it's out, it's out, man. So at least if you're going to put it out, make sure it's the best product it can be when you throw it out versus if it take off or not. Um, we fought against the grain at Atlantic a lot when I was managing Trey. I put Venice Sex out with Drake out through Twitter, through Sinspace, and they were mad as hell at me. Or, you know, we put out a mixtape anticipation, which arguably critic-wise, might they think that besides Ready, that's his best work, and I put it out for free through a link. Hey, download it and take the music, right? Um, they didn't understand it, but the difference in doing when we did it was that you had high-end music guys that did this music that we put out for free. It was not just, oh, I just cut something last night and did a rough mix and I downloaded some type of presets that said it could be a good mix and I'm going to throw it out. That's not what we were doing. We was going through the same process we would have went through having a label put it out period, and figuring out how to do it for a lot cheaper. So I think the quality just needs to be there, and then um, they need to respect the quality, and then I think that we can turn this around. They'll understand it. Yeah, yeah. Man. yeah man. Hopefully. Listen, I could talk to you for absolutely hours on this stuff, and uh, next time we're both in San Francisco, let's do the, uh, the whiskey and cigars again, because that was awesome. Yes, and I want to interview <laughs> you. I think you're quite interesting, and um, I know your show, you interview different people, man, but if I could reverse this, if you ever want to do something on your show where I reverse and I ask you the questions, uh, wow. that might be actually pretty cool. So yeah, it'll, be, it'll, be a, it'll be a very short interview, uh, but yeah, nah, I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> nah, you got a lot of interesting things, man. You, 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 you're a very smart yeah. guy. Like I was highly impressed uh, and I'm honored yeah, for thank you, you to be I... uh, a teammate with you and the stuff that we did with Afghan, I think is incredible. He's an incredible artist. Oh, oh, he's um, incredible. He's yeah. Yeah. He's an incredible artist. Um, uh, very cool guy, man. I was highly impressed with him all the way around and i can't wait for him to come back uh just to hang on coronavirus man he would be one of the guys that i would love so, to come back yeah he's so he's so frustrated you know being stuck in indonesia but yeah uh oh, he, I mean, he's he, he's desperate he's desperate to come back yeah 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 he's awesome he's a party animal though i know i don't know if i'm supposed to say this <laughs> on the show you can edit out yo afghan parties he and it's it's very responsible party but i mean the energy just to yeah. Um, I always preach this thing like, man, and I know you've done this your life, but a lot of the kids, I say, listen, man, when you travel the world, if you're doing a show or you're recording or whatever you're doing, just a lot of these, you know, a lot of the guys be like, oh, I want to get a girl. I want to get some pot and uh, I want to drink and just, you know, just be with different women in different parts of the world. I'd be like, yo, no, man, you have to go get the culture. So you have to go to the museums. You have to go walk. Don't don't walk where the tourists at. Go where the regular people are. Just be careful and get this really soak in what's going on. So the interesting about Afghan is that's what I told him. I said, listen, I wanted you to come to Atlanta, not for the fact of coming to Atlanta. Wow, I don't think I never told you this, Alex. I thought I told you, but I think I never did. And I said, if you're going to come here and record, one of the things I'm big on is you respecting where you are, as if I come to Indonesia and Bali, I'm going to respect to understand, to want to understand your culture, what's the do's and don'ts, why you, why the people are who they are, the history, where they come from. So 
when I go to different places like that, I always try to take a date or two to kind of read up while I'm there to kind of see it in person, not just on a, you know, online or on book mm -hmm. and kind of just vibe with the people, eat at a regular restaurant, go. So I said, what you're going to do, Afghan, is when you're here, I said, I said, do you know the significance of Atlanta? And he, you know, he didn't really know. I said, well, the key to significance of Atlanta is that it is the, um, the home of kind of sort of or the safe area of the civil rights movement. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to Martin Luther King's house, go to the civil rights museums, go downtown. So I want you to soak in that first to understand why Atlanta is significant in urban music from the core. What drew everybody here, right? Most of the civil rights thing was shot, was happening in Mississippi and everything. We didn't have too many civil rights battles in Atlanta. This was the safe zone where Martin Luther King and all these famous guys who fought in that movement would come here and be safe. Uh, but the <laughs> battle was usually fought in a different state, right? A lot of people right, get right. that misconception. But I said, go do it. Then after that, you take them to the next level of culture um, when you start introducing soul food and, and um, these soul food restaurants that were significant in a lot of meetings and in, in the civil rights of people coming. Then we're going to go to the more current stuff. You're going to go and eat lemon pepper wings, which people know Atlanta for now. Uh, wet, which is a popular thing down here that a lot of artists talk about. By the time he left, I mean, it was like I really thought he was going to put on a ladder braids jacket and was talking like us, like, hey, you know, he, he enjoyed it. I mean, he actually found certain things as Every day before the studio, he would legitimately go out and do these culturally things and then come to the studio and tell me about it before he recorded the song. And the, the, the guy that we had here, what's her name? Tia? I even say I don't remember her name. She was great. Um, his guy that we had here who happened to be from Indonesia, she was awesome. Like her and then I had my intern, D, with him, Damon. And, and he would come back and tell me certain pockets about Atlanta that I haven't even seen. Oh, and awesome. I would go, but that's what made it so great. Like, okay, great. He, he he was the perfect artist that what I would love every artist to do when they go in somebody's city and town and really get it. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I saw that when I, you know, first met him and, uh, you know, really realized that, you know, the world should, should learn about Afghans. So that's what we're doing, right? Yeah. He's a great guy, man. I can't wait for yeah. him. So uh, the music is good and I, I think it's going to do great. Um, I think yeah. it's going to do great yeah, as long as we so. execute. Yeah. So. Good yeah, time. absolutely. Very good. Okay, let's uh, let's leave it there. But um, thank you again. I really appreciate your time. Really, really oh, appreciate it. No, man. Anytime. Anything for you, Alex. Anything for you. <laughs> thank you, brother. Uh, okay, so to my listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, welcome all feedback, comments, and suggestions for future shows. My Twitter handle is at Alex Branson. Uh, just put podcast DM in a message and I'll hit you back. Uh, or head to the website, www.abcmusic.co, and you'll find a contacts page there with my email address on. So thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Well, that's it, folks. I hope you found that as interesting as I did, but also can take away some of those stories and thoughts and apply them to your current or future role as the next great A&R legend.